0: Have you ever had a persistent question you just couldn't get out of your head? One that was so interesting, you just had to know the answer. Today's guest let her curiosity guide her and turned her simple question of, how could you make toothpaste more sustainable into a multi-million dollar company that is making the earth a cleaner, healthier place? Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren Legrasso. I'm Lauren Lagrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, public speaker, actor, and creative coach. And this show is meant to give you tools to claim the word "creative," take fear out of the driver's seat, and love yourself enough to pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. On the show, we explore the creative process and journey, mental health, self-development, spirituality, and everything it means to be a human and become more human. Today's guest is Lindsay McCormick. She's the founder and CEO of Byte, a brand whose goal is to help make a cleaner planet by eliminating the use of plastic in personal care products. Lindsay and Byte have been featured in Business Insider, Fast Company, Today.com, CNBC, and Bloomberg, to name a few. And she even turned Mark Cuban down for an investment on Shark Tank because she's that much of a badass. She has a lot to teach us about how to trust your gut and heart, even when it's not logical to onlookers. It always pays off in the end. Bite makes everything ranging from toothpaste to deodorants, and the products are cruelty free, vegan, carbon neutral, and as somebody who's used them, I can honestly say they're awesome. Lindsay also has an incredible story and a bit of a twisty path. It's really inspiring because it just goes to show you don't have to have it all figured out right away. Before Bite, she was a surf instructor, bartender, and TV producer, and she found her way to Bite because she loves the earth. and had a question about how to stop using so much plastic and toothpaste tubes. Her question turned into a multi-million dollar self-funded business. So from today's chat, you're going to learn her incredible story, how to follow your curiosity, enjoy the journey, trust your gut, become a better leader, build an audience, why you should care about environmental causes and what they have to do with your own health, and why there's never been a better time to help change the world with your idea. Now here she is, the inspiring Lindsay McCormick. I'm so happy you're here. I love what you're doing. I love your energy. You're just such a sweet soul, but also a badass. So thank you for being on Unleash.
1: Oh, thanks so much, Lauren. I'm so happy to be here. And that's so nice of you to say.
0: I mean, it's true because the many things you're doing at Bite are incredible. And I think it's so important not only for the environment, but also for our physical bodies because plastic has such an impact on our health and we don't even really know the full long-term effects of that. So I love that you are creating a place where you're really innovating, you're really thinking from the most creative point of view, and you're also helping our planet and helping our bodies. So So excited to talk with you today!
1: Thanks. Yeah, it's really when you think about it and take a step back, it's just the fact that you know plastic has only been around a a few decades, but it's already so ubiquitous. Like we're we're literally consuming the average person an entire credit card's worth of plastic every single week just from our food and drinking water, and it's you know it's ending up in like in they're finding it in Antarctica, places that we haven't even been, and or like you know that hasn't have people living there. It's changed so much over these few decades that I feel like this kind of immediate action These really kind of uh, long term solutions are just so
0: important. 100%. You have the best statistics, too, because you say every week we're eating a credit card's worth. Okay. What's the statistic you have about the Empire State Building? Will you say that one?
1: Yeah. So when I started Bite, it it was it was I was traveling all the time for work, and I was going through those little toothpaste tubes, and I was throwing them out, and it just started feeling like they were building up, and so I started questioning, like, how do I have something that's more sustainable, but how many toothpaste are, tubes are we actually throwing out? So we looked it up, and over a billion plastic toothpaste tubes are thrown out every year, and that's the mass of the Empire State Building 50 times every year. So if you can picture the Empire State Building 50 times over, ending up in a landfill because of just toothpaste tubes, just one thing in our our daily routine. It was staggering.
0: Yes. And we're going to get into that. We're going to take a deep dive. But on the show, we really love talking about people's journeys. And you have an incredible journey and something that I like to call living many lives within your one life. I listened to this interview you did, I think, with your alma mater. And um, it was the Pirates. The yeah. <laughs> um, Pirates! Very, very cute, very <laughs> cute. And you talked about how when you graduated, and we have a lot of 20-somethings listening. So when you graduated, you didn't really know what you wanted to do. Take me through that time in your life, and then I would love to know what your advice would be for another 20-something that feels lost right now.
1: Thank you for asking this question, because I actually remember when I was graduating from college, I was terrified.
0: I'm not a very
1: fear-based person. I don't have a lot of anxiety, but graduating from college, leaving my bubble, right? I had so many great friends. I really loved my classes. I loved my school. And I remember when I would graduate, people didn't even think about it. They would say, what are you doing next? And I didn't know. I didn't have a job lined up. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And it it caused so much anxiety to me when I think back at that time of my life, I actually made a promise to myself that when I met recent college graduates, I'd never ask them, so what's next? Because you're so excited for them. You want to know what's, but if you don't know what's next, that's such a terrifying question because, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going into the real world and I I, I don't know what I want to do. Um, so I would say if you're graduating from college or even if, you know, if you choose not to go to college, but you are just trying to figure out what you want to do in the real world, it's so okay not to know. And it's so okay to be really fearful of just thinking like you should know you're so young you don't need to know and I think just kind of follow your curiosity and follow the things that make you happy um, and that you feel like you can do good and that will help you along your path.
0: What do you think the benefits of not knowing were? The benefits
1: of not knowing will be you're open to anything. So for me, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I did know I loved being outside. I did know that I wanted to move to California. So I was like, I'm going to move to California. My major was communications. I wanted to work in nature documentaries. My actual, my end of year project for my comms major was a persuasion essay. And I chose to do it on the importance of biomass and the deforest of the rainforest. I was like, if I can get up in front of hundreds of people and talk about something, I'm going to be like, we need to save the rainforest. Um, and so I knew I moved, I wanted to move to California. I was hoping I could work in TV and I couldn't get a job. I really couldn't. I, I tried to, I tried to network. I tried to meet people and it was really, really tough. I ended up working as a PA for a little while and then working as a surf instructor and a snowboard instructor and a bartender. And I worked at a pizza shop and I did all of these random things. But I think it was just really kind of exploring and kind of following my curiosity the entire time.
0: I loved in that interview I listened to how you talked about how every little dot in your journey led you to where you are today. And you can't see that when you're in the thick of things. And sometimes I don't know about how you feel, but sometimes a journey can feel really bad. Like, because you feel like you don't know where you're going and you only see where you are right now. You can't zoom out and see everything. Like, how do you stay present to the journey and enjoy the journey when you know you want to eventually be somewhere else or go further? I
1: feel like that's what we're always, I still deal with this now. And so I think looking back at my time as a surf instructor, snowboard instructor, then eventually TV producer, seeing them all feel so random at the time and then line up is just, wow. Like that, it's just such an amazing thing to see. And everybody that I talk to, you know, that kind of gets to our, I feel like that's such a common thing. We all look back when you're, I'm 37 now. And so I look like so many of my friends are the same age and they look back and they're like, those dots did connect. How did that happen? You know? So I feel like that, they do coalesce. Um, But I think even for for now and what I tell my team all the time is the idea like we always feel like we're on unstable ground. We always feel like we don't know what we're doing. And that's a good thing because it means you're doing something new. If this was easy, if it felt, you know, if I could just read a book and and have it done overnight, literally everybody would do this. It would be the easiest thing in the world. But, you know, the reason entrepreneurship or anything is if you're doing something new, it's going to feel weird and unstable. And that's because you're in uncharted territory. And that's a good
0: thing. You've definitely reinvented yourself many times. Um, One that you just mentioned was transitioning from being a surfing and snowboard instructor into a TV producer. How did you go about that? Because I know you say you tried the PA thing when you were younger. It didn't really work out. How did you make that transition?
1: So from going from surf and snowboard instructor to a TV producer, I had to go all the way back. So I became, I was an assistant. So when I got back, like when I decided that I wanted to get back into TV, I was like, I was 29 at the time. And I was like, I will take any job in TV that will help move up. And so it wasn't the cool job. It wasn't like being on set. It wasn't, I will just, I was like, I will be a desk, like I will be an executive assistant. I will work my butt off. And so I was making $600 a week working from nine in the morning until eight o'clock at night, you know, as an assistant on call on weekends. What helped me is it gave me a top down look of the industry because I was working for two heads of a production company. They were incredibly like helpful and kind. And I was able to see what their day-to-day was like. And then it gave me an understanding of the industry that I had not gotten at all when I was on set. And so from that, I was like, okay, now I know my, trajectory and now I know how I can get there. And so, you know, it was kind of really, it was really humbling being 29 years old, working with 22 year olds, you know, um, like in the same jobs. What was amazing is that I just, I was like I'm here to do this. I'm here to succeed and I'm I'm going to I'm going to do it.
0: And you did it and you moved all the way up to becoming a producer, but you talked about how you took a pay cut to be an executive assistant. You had to take a step back in order to take a step forward. If someone's in a similar situation like that, which you know, I've been in situations like that before. I was like an intern when I was 26 and everybody else was 19. I'm like, "Oh, am I an asshole? Like what's <laughs> yeah. what's happening?" But it did it started my hosting and producing career as well. So it was well worth it. But I'm I was like literally cleaning toilets and I'm like, what choices am I making right now? So if someone else is in a similar situation like we were, you know, how would you advise them to get through that, that am I an asshole moment?
1: Here's the deal. It will never end. When I became CEO of my company, I was, you're the CEO, like you're the janitor. You know, if something breaks in our office, like I'm the one who fixes things. Like if the printer's not working, like I don't know, like, especially when we first started, I didn't have money for an office assistant. I'm the one who has to deal with it. So it's like no matter how high you get, you'll still be changing printer cartridges and figuring out like plumbing situations. But I think understanding being humble, never being too good for anything and understanding that like eye on the prize, you know, and I think that that's a thing, especially for younger listeners would be it feels really tough if you don't know what you want and you're doing these entry-level jobs because you're like, whoa, like this is tough. But when you get older and you know what you want and you can see how this entry-level job will help you get where you want to go, you can put the details to the side and be like, I know I'm going to be able to get where I want to go by doing this. And I think that's kind of the difference between coming at those types of things when you're 27, 29 versus right out of college where, or like, you know, as an intern where you don't really see the path. Like for us, it was like, we're old, like we're old. We see the path now, you know, we just got to get there. But I, I love that you did that. And it was, it was so helpful to me. It was the only way that I could get there.
0: It's true because I love what you said. You're like, I could have been a PA and it would have been more probably exciting to be on set and like, it's a different kind of hard, but there's less of a way of growing. I've seen people get stuck in PA hell where they're production assistants for like 10 years. And I think it was just so smart. Obviously, you're you're a person who's always learned on the job, which is another thing I love about you. I had one boss one time say to me, which I thought was smart. It's like a more difficult path to take, but I think a smarter path to take. Hire for heart, train for skill. I believe in that. And I think that we're both good examples of that. But how did you make sure when you were in that executive assistant position to learn everything you could from those two bosses you were working with, how did you like approach it differently? You probably approach it like an entrepreneur. So I'm super curious.
1: I was so checked in the opposite of checked out. (laughs) You know, there was no, I would look over at other assistants and they would have like YouTube up or, you know, whatever. And I was just like, nope, I want to be on every call. I want to be on everything because I learned things in in every single email and every, like, it was so incredibly beneficial. And I think it made me better at my job. You know, first of all, because then I started to get to know them really well. Um, and that could help me anticipate what they need and how I can do things. But it also, it helped me learn how to learn, you know, Mm -hmm. it helped me figure out like when you get into a new job, how do you in surfing, like you say you wire the area, right? So you get out, you get out onto a new break or something and you want to wire the area. So you want to figure out like, where are the rocks? Like what are the conditions today? Like how does this all look? And that's what you do to kind of fold in how you're going to surf. Right. And so that's what I feel like being an assistant taught me how to wire professional areas like what who I need to pay attention to how do I need to do this like you know what calls are really important and I think that that's something that I, I still do I still am constantly trying to figure out how to wire
0: things you have and I know bite was originally something that you started because you saw the problem you were traveling as your producer and you were buying all these little tubes and you're like there has to be a better way and you're like what if I made one so tell me about the spark of BITE. I mean, again, learning on the job, you literally studied chemistry in your spare time. Tell us how this came to be.
1: And the funny thing about chemistry, Lauren, is that I had to go to summer school for chemistry in high school. It was my personal health. It was <laughs> The worst. It was the freaking worst. And I was like, if my high school self would have seen my third, like my 32-year-old like ass sitting in on a Friday <laughs> night being like, I'm taking open source chemistry classes, that she would have been like, What are you doing? You're insane. Like, I disown you, you know, like it was just so ridiculous. Basically, what happened, honestly, is that it was a question that I asked myself, being like, Why doesn't this exist? And it just started kind of becoming following my curiosity, of this like obsession of being like, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And then, wait a minute, why? And then when I found out about the bad, like the harsh ingredients and like all these different chemicals, I was like, wait, this makes no sense at all. And I think because I was an outsider, I was able to kind of start looking at being like, what is toothpaste? Okay. It's just these different things. And I would talk to dentists and dental hygienists. I was hitting up everybody that I went to like high school and uh, college with on Facebook. I was like, can I talk to you about like toothpaste? And uh, you know, like what is toothpaste made?
0: Of? Just I'd like to imagine being on the other end of that message. Could I talk to you about toothpaste? Like you literally go to your 15 year reunion just to talk about toothpaste.
1: There were people that I hadn't talked to in like 10 years. And I'm like, hey, how's it going? Quick question. So can I like talk to you about like the composition of toothpaste and what is necessary? And they're like, I mean, I guess. Sure. Nice to hear from you too. Like, what the heck? So it was uh, – but the, the cool thing is, is that a lot of them actually – they there's so much waste in the dental industry that yeah. they were like, oh my God, thank God someone's doing something. This is a great idea. And so it was pretty quick buy-in um, from my old high school and college friends. So like thanks to them if any of them ever Shout listened to this. Yeah, shout out. I, and I started buying things, which then really forced me into continuing to, it was kind of this like snowball effect where it was like, I bought some ingredients to kind of try different things. And then, okay, well now I just spent a hundred dollars on ingredients. Now I need to figure out this little tablet thing so I can push it together. Oh, now I just spent a hundred bucks on that. And the next thing I know, I'm like, I'm kind of thousands of dollars into this hobby. And like, now I need to like make this work because I'd like to make my money back. And so like, it was kind of one of those things where I was like, well, now I'm in it. Now it's a business. Like at first it was just kind of like, this is really interesting. I feel like we need to solve this. This is driving me crazy. Um, and it needs to exist. And then it was like, okay, now I've just spent money on it. I'm going to make a website and I'm going to sell it. And so that's kind of how it went from like this really passion project of just like loving to play with these powders and this tableting machine and all these different things to being like, let's try to recoup some of that so I can, you know, like spend it on other things, (laughs) you know, rent. (laughs) And so, yeah, that's kind of how it all happened.
0: And how long was that process from the spark of the idea to, I think I have to sell this?
1: A year? The first bite tablets were so bad. I was using like this like spearmint oil, and it just didn't taste good. And I was asking my friends to try it. And it took a long time and so many different iterations to get the right uh, formula down because it needed to taste good. I needed to be able to press it into a tablet. And then the tablet needed to be hard enough that I could ship it, but not so hard that you can't bite it. So it was like a lot of different things to kind of play around with and and to figure out. So at first, you know, I was giving it to my friends when they were going on trips and my TV friends. And then it was like, oh, I I think I was selling a bottle for like $6 because I had no idea how much these things cost. Like, I was just like, I don't know. And like, there was like that. Seems Seems fair. Yeah. Not fair. It was so, (laughs) not fair at all. Um, But I was like, I don't know, like, it's like on Etsy. And then I started being like, okay, I feel like there's a a lot of people who want this solution and this could actually... Actually, like it could make a lot of change. Like if if we're able to start switching out all of these toothpaste tubes, like this would be a really, really amazing thing. And so that's when I was like, I need to kind of be a little bit more serious about making it a business and figure out how to, you know, make it more commercially acceptable so it didn't taste so bad. And, uh, you know, those types of things.
0: When did you get the tingle that like, uh uh-oh. Something's happening here. Like this may be taking the forefront of my life. I had my site on Etsy and my site
1: on Shopify. And we had, and I had done $6,000 in sales collectively over the past like year and a half. So like very concentrated. We had gotten picked up by some zero waste bloggers, uh, which was a very new thing at the time. Uh, This was back in 2018. I still remember like seeing the first name come in as a customer who I didn't know who they were. And I was like, yes, you know? So it was kind of like that time. And then uh, Women's Health had been featuring women-owned businesses, and they had asked me some, for some footage on Bite. They had found us on a zero-waste blog, and they were like, could you send some footage in and we want to make a little video about you? And they had been putting out these videos every week. Well, they put it out. And it ended up getting over 2 million views in the first few hours it went up. And I had over $200,000 in sales. I didn't even know how to turn the website off to not sell when I was sold out. And so I was like... Oh, my God. I was like, I need a manufacturer. I need business insurance. Like, this is crazy Um, because I was still making it in my living room. Each individual tablet? Yeah. Well, luckily, I had a machine. It was pushing. It pushed out like a thousand tablets an hour or something like that. But still, I would have to pick them up, put them in a bottle, hand label the bottle, screw the lid on, put it in an envelope, print up the shipping label and then take it to the post office. That's what I was doing every single day. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a business now.
0: And during that time, you were still producing Mm -hmm. when that video went viral. Okay, so I also heard an incredible story that you told on another show where you talked about how you stayed at your producing job for months while you were running this now huge business. So tell me about that piece. So when Bite went viral,
1: I yeah still working full time, and I was an integration producer, and I loved my job as a as a TV producer. I worked for two women uh, at a company called Python Productions. They were they were just such badasses. We made great shows, and I I really loved my job. And so when this happened, I was like, I, I can't just abandon my. I would never, you know. So I need to make sure because and especially now as an entrepreneur. I get how messed up that would have been, you know, like you just, you don't want to leave, you know, you want to make sure that you leave everybody in a good spot. And so, and, and with a good taste in their mouth. So I was like, okay, I gotta, you know, make sure I can train the next person who comes in and leave us in a good spot at the same time, trying to like run this like bucking bronco of this company that had just gone totally crazy. I'm really happy to say by the end of, end of that, I think that I was able to get them in a good space and it wasn't just like a peace out, you know, it was kind of like a, okay, I feel, good that this is transitioning out. And yeah, and I I feel like that was good karma going into my next business, because I feel like I've been treated really well by, you know, um, the people who worked for me as well, too. So
0: I mean, I think it'd be hard to not treat you. well. you're so you wear your heart on your sleeve, and you put everything in. But I think that the reason I wanted to highlight that is because it's a really great story of leaving the right way. And I think a lot of people, especially now, like, I totally appreciate somebody quitting a toxic situation, that's a different thing. But like people like celebrate quitting and just like spacing right away, ghosting right away. And I think it doesn't have to be that way. Like you can leave in a really nice way even when it is the harder thing to do. And I thought that that was a beautiful story of ending that chapter of your life, which was very important. I'm also so interested to know, obviously that thing happened with the Facebook video and you just have an amazing story as it is. But how has being a producer and having that background in storytelling helped you tell the story of your brand?
1: It's been so helpful.
0: Every entrepreneur has to use their background to what they're doing now.
1: And I am so thankful that mine was TV production because not only is that just so incredibly helpful in terms of messaging your media, you know, messaging is everything, understanding how to talk to an audience, understanding people. And in media, you have to understand people. But then I think, uh, especially as a producer, like it was my job as an integration producer to deliver on time, on budget with a smile on my face every single time. And it didn't matter what I was up against. It didn't matter, you know, that this thing happened or that thing happened. Like my job was to fix the fire, to make it happen, to let no one else know that these things are happening and to get it, you know, on time, on budget with a smile. And I think that that's been something that's so helpful because like running a company is a constant fire and it's, uh, and I'm, it's still just kind of going back to the roots of being like, figure it out. You got to deliver.
0: And you said something, too, that I thought was really powerful. You talked about how if you're trying to sell to everyone, you actually have no audience. You have to get specific. You said yours was easy because you were selling to yourself, but it couldn't have been just that simple. Like, How do you get intentional about who your customer or who your audience is?
1: That's a great question. So I spend a lot of time trying to understand our customer because I think that is a superpower of any small brand. And so I actually get on the phone with our customers on Fridays. So I call Hi. up two. We have, yeah, one coming in through our customer support and one coming in through social media. And I just talk to them and I ask them, you know, what do you think about and, you know, what's going on in your life and what are they thinking about and where do they get their information and just kind of understanding who they are and why. And I have this gigantic spreadsheet and I just like... Like I try to understand, you know, who our customers are because we're bootstrapped. We're, you know, I say customer funded, so they are literally the lifeblood of our business. And so whenever I hop on, they're just like, I can't believe the CEO of the company is like calling me, and I'm like, I can't believe that people aren't because you're the lifeblood of the company. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, there's no one more important than talking to you guys and understanding you. Um, so I take it very seriously. It is marketing to myself because I, you know, I do like live this lifestyle, and I, you know, feel like I'm, I have a lot in common with my customer. But it's also listening to them Mm -hmm. and saying, oh, okay, these things are important to them. Maybe we should consider these types of things. And that's how I came up with actually deodorant was, you know, kind of hearing over and over again. People were starting to like see us not just as an oral care brand. What's coming next? What's coming next? And so
0: I love the deodorant. I'm wearing it right now. I'm genuinely obsessed with your products. And I have to tell you, Lindsay, I must confess, Okay, I think I was like serviced an ad for Bite years ago. And maybe it was, like, 2019. I don't know if you remember when you were doing, like, uh, Instagram marketing stuff. And I was like, this doesn't make any... I was a hater, Lindsay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Because I could not be more wrong. The second I tried Bite, I was, like, hooked. To the point where, like, my boyfriend will come over and he's got his little tube of toothpaste. I'm like, you don't want to use a Bite? What's wrong with you? I mean, I can't believe... The way they suds up, I don't know another way to like say it because I think that the thing that people maybe have in their head when they see bite is, oh, but it's going to be so dry. Let me tell you, here to dispel that vicious rumor, it isn't. It's like so sudsy just like regular toothpaste, except I'll tell you, it makes my teeth feel even cleaner. The mouthwash bites, so innovative because the thing about mouthwash is it's not very sanitary. And I love how sanitary these mouthwash bites are. You just put it in your mouth. I think it says to get a cup, but I always just use my hand. And like take a little water, swish around, you're done. Also so much easier to travel with. And the deodorant is great because it comes in this like it's like a shiny container and then has refills.
1: That's exactly it. Yeah. It's this little aluminum case and you just put a a cardboard refill in it. And so you never have to throw out plastic. And it it looks so small. It's just compact because it's the same size as like the ones, the big one that you'd see at a drugstore. But we just don't have like the screw under it that takes up most of the room. I love stories like that. And I think it's so skepticism. I feel like it's always good, especially in green businesses. I'm always like dig into it and make sure that they are who they say they are. So I love that you had skepticism. One of the favorite things we hear from people is like, at first I think it was weird. Like I thought it was weird, but now I'm obsessed because it, it is weird. It's like, we're asking you to change a habit that you've done twice a day, every day, your entire life. But then once you get used to biting down, you know, using a toothbrush. It's the ingredients are so much better for your body, but also the experience it's because there's no glycerin. So like when you use toothpaste, it coats your teeth and it doesn't feel as clean when you use bite. It's just an entirely different experience. So thank you.
0: I think that it's just because not only like have we been doing this our whole lives, but people told us we should do it our whole lives and we should do it this way, that this is the only way to do it. Yeah, I think the idea is just so revolutionary, but it, it works. Like, I just want everyone to know your teeth will feel cleaner and it's better for your body and better for the planet. Major kudos because I'm obsessed. What's your favorite product, by the way, of yours? Oh my gosh. Well, I love our
1: toothpaste. I, I mean, I'm going to use them every day. But yeah, and then I love our Neroli deodorant. Like, it's like my i favorite. I like, look, I love Rose Vert. I also love Santal. Neroli is this orange blossom scent, if anyone's listening who's not familiar with it, but we kind of went in a more greener route. It's more, it's very unisex, but it's very like fresh. Uh, and I just like love it. Like, I, when we first were doing it, I, when it, when there wasn't the zinc resilient in there, because there is an odor inhibitor in there, which is great. But I was like putting it on my arms, just being like, I'm just obsessed with how it smells. <laughs> like, (laughs) It's so
0: good. They're so good. I'm curious, like as you're growing the brand now, how do you make sure you maintain the integrity, like the core integrity of what the brand is while experiencing this growth, both as like your products and also the culture of your company?
1: I take this very serious. So we, from the beginning, have an all about sustained growth, right? Sustainable growth. And that's what I've told everybody. Our team knows it's about building a good business with good people and sustainable products and sustainable growth. I feel like a lot of businesses come up and it's just growth at all costs. Like we're just, we want to get as big as we can and put as many products out as we can. And like, and I get it. I, I get that, especially if you're venture backed, especially, you know, if that's like what you want to do, but that's not for us. Like we are here to make revolution products. We're here to support small businesses. The people who are making our products are also small businesses like us, small to medium, just like us. And we really do want to, we're in the process of being certified as a B Corp. We really want to prove that you can, take no shortcuts. You can do the right thing and you can have a really, really good, healthy business. And especially I think now with like, you know, kind of the, the way things are looking, um, you know, with macroeconomics and everything, we're in a really good spot in terms of the fact that we've always wanted to build a good pro like profitable, good business, you know, built on a customer base that we care deeply about that we just keep servicing as opposed to being like, we want to be everything to everyone. We're going to get as big as we possibly can. We want to be everywhere. We're like, we know who we are and we know who we want to talk to and how we want to kind of grow. And I think that that's been, it's been an asset. We've grown super fast, um, but we've purposely throttled it in some ways to just make sure that we're making the right choices and that we're growing in the right
0: way. Yeah. And that happened. I mean, there's a few things that that sparked for me. But I know that that happened even in the beginning, right after your viral Facebook video, because you were given an offer by Shark Tank. And you're like, hold on. Not right now. I don't have business insurance. Give me a second to fulfill (laughs) these 200,000 orders. And then a year later, you did end up going on there. And you turned down two investments, which, I mean, it sounds like it was absolutely the right decision, but also pretty badass of you to say no to Mark Cuban. So take me through this moment of saying no and why that was important, because I think a lot of people maybe just would have felt pressured and caved. And I love that you didn't. I think it really. Oh, I felt pressured. (laughs) But you didn't and, uh, cave.
1: It was so scary. Um, yeah, not every day you say no to a billionaire on television. Um, <laughs> it was terrifying. So when Shark Tank had first gone viral, they were like, hey, you know, do you wanna go through the casting process, see if you wanna be on the show? And I like, just like you said, not the right time, gotta build the business. Then we you know came back the next year and I was like, you know what, let's give it a shot. And I took it so incredibly seriously. I watched every single episode of Shark Tank from like season two on. And and I had a whiteboard in my apartment of what every shark like liked, what they didn't like, what their trigger words were, what they would like get on people. Oh, I was like if I'm gonna walk into a room, I'm gonna know who's in the room, and I'm gonna make sure that like I can do this. And so by the time I got I got up on stage, I was terrified. I actually froze at the beginning of my pitch. think they did not like it didn't end up in edit, but I was like, And then I had to start going, but I was like, I was so terrified. And then, you know, we had gone back and forth. We had gotten an offer from Mark Cuban and an offer from Kevin O'Leary. And we were going back and forth and back and we just couldn't get there. And looking back... The way you play the Shark Tank game is you go in with a valuation that you can negotiate hardcore on because they want to negotiate with you. But for me, I was like, this is the beginning of a partnership. I'm going to go in with what I think is fair. And, you know, and it was, and it was more than fair. It was like a really sharky deal. I wanted to make sure that they, you know, it was a good, good deal that represented how important they are and they would be to our business, but not that I felt like I was going to get walked all over. And so I didn't leave a lot of room to negotiate. So when we're going back and forth and like, like, the Sharks love into good negotiation. So there wasn't a lot of room, but I wouldn't have changed my strategy there because I feel like it's just – I just like to go in fair and stay fair. When the lights were on and, like, you're, like, there and, like, the cameras are on you and I'm, like, sitting there trying to be, like, I can't believe I'm about to say, I just wanted to say yes and I wanted to get the hug. You know? Like, everything in me was, like, it's Mark Cuban. Like, say yes and, like, get the hug. But I was, like, I can't. I can't do this. Like, I can't. I'll just feel terrible about this. Mm -hmm. You know, it it, like, I just, I'll just feel like it's not a great way to start a partnership off. And so I said, no. And then I woke up the next day with so much anxiety. I was like, what if I just kamikaze my company? You know, I was (laughs) like, what if nothing, like, what if everything goes terribly? And literally two days later, and this is not a good thing, but this was even more instability. COVID happened and COVID took over the news thing. And for the rest of the year, more people were shopping online than ever before. More people were thinking about their health and what's happening to the planet than ever before. And, you know, we immediately sprung into action. We did a lot of things like we were donating hand sanitizer and we, you know, as a company, we did a lot to try to help. But We've benefited as an online business from more people shopping online and thinking about their about their health. So in the end, it was the scariest thing and then going into COVID was also the scariest thing. And then I look back and I'm like, wow, that all somehow worked out. You know, like saying no to Mark Cuban and Kevin Camden- O'Leary. <laughs> and it was yeah, it was it was it was a crazy, crazy time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's amazing because a lot of times entrepreneurs or creatives of all sorts come on the show and tell similar stories. Like they made a choice that everyone's like like, Like, what are you doing? And it turned out to be the best thing for them and the kind of the pinnacle that got them over to the next step. And I think it's because in those moments you chose yourself, you chose your own integrity, you chose what your gut was saying. It doesn't sound like your gut and like your inner fortitude was going to allow you to do anything differently, even if your mouth wanted to do something different or your brain did. (laughs) Like the spiritual part of you was like, no. But I think when we do listen to that, when we don't fight it, I don't know if you're spiritual at all, but like. I do feel like some sort of force in the universe takes over and kind of gently or sometimes aggressively guides us in the right direction to our greatest good. And it's cool to hear that that's exactly what happened for you.
1: I truly, truly believe that. And I feel like it gets very, like, people. it can get very, like, kind of hippie-sounding very fast, but I really, truly believe that if you do what you feel is right, if you're looking at circumstances and trying to do the one that benefits the most people, that's good for, like, that's just right. Things will be better for you and easier for you and more rewarded, and you will be rewarded. And I think even looking back kind of at that Shark Tank thing, which I kind of didn't even mention, like... A lot of times businesses will like say yes on screen, knowing that the deal can just fall apart on the back end, you know, but you get like that. And I just remember thinking for one second being like, you could do this and then like, you could just let the deal fall apart. And I was like, that would feel so wrong. And I would never. And then I doubled down on being able to be like, You had an easy choice there that you could have just been like, you get the hug and everything seems fine, but you didn't do it and it worked out better because then it was like, I, I just didn't have that stress involved and like all of that. It didn't get tied up in this thing. So I think it's really important, like as an entrepreneur, as a, human. Every day you will be constantly looking at solutions and and problems being like, which what's the way to go here? And if you just do blindly what you think is right, I really think you have a way better chance at succeeding than any other way.
0: Yeah. We hear the stories again and again. So it has to be true. Even if it seems illogical, it has to be true because people keep saying it and really successful, smart people keep saying it. So I'm going to go with Lindsay on this one. With that said, like, what does it feel like physically for you? What's the difference between intuition and anxiety? Like, how does that feel differently in your body or in your gut?
1: I'm very, very run by intuition. And I think that there's a lot of things that go into intuition that's even more than just kind of like, you know, being one with the universe. It's actually, uh, it's also, it's it's picking up on, we're animals, right? So we're constantly getting different messages from each other, whether it's our body language or, so you might think it's your intuition, but really it's like the primal part of you understanding, like seeing kind of what somebody else is doing or how they're acting. And so I think that I, I very much, Try to get quiet. I meditate every morning. Um, I think it's incredibly important to kind of always kind of come back to your baseline and remembering what's important and getting quiet and being in alignment. And Anxiety has a place. And I think it's really important to make friends with it very early on because it will continue being a roommate with you (laughs) for the rest of your journey and life. Um, And so I try to get curious about my anxiety. And on a good day when I have anxiety, I can ask like, what are you here for? What are you here to teach me? And sometimes my anxiety has helped. Like I've been able to, like, I will have anxiety about a contract and then I'll like reread it again or I'll reread it like three or four times. And I'm like, my anxiety is out of control. And then I'm like, oh wait, no, this is a problem. We need to redline this right now, you know? And so sometimes it's like anxiety is actually a very helpful thing. I think as long as you try not to fight it And kind of try to make friends with it and see it as um, an asset when it's there.
0: Yeah. And I love the idea of getting curious with it. Like, I've talked on the show about getting curious with your shame talk before. Like, my therapist recommended to me when I was spiraling on like bad self talk to ask that voice what it wanted me to know. And what it wanted me to know or to do was to not give up. But instead of being like, I believe in you, you can do this, it was like, you need to work harder. What's wrong with you? Like, Get back at it. Why haven't you gone further yet? Like that's the voice, the shame talk voice. But then I had to say to it, okay, thank you. I don't want to give up either, but that's not helpful to me. So could we change it to, I believe in you, keep going. It's going to be all right rest for five minutes and then come back to this. And that has been very powerful. So I love the idea of doing it with your anxiety. And I also love what you bring up about the contract thing because that's another thing I've thought of too. I don't know if you ever experienced this, but sometimes I'll have like a level of inaction that's like very weird. Like I just won't be able to make a move on something. Like I keep putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And I would then use that as another like opportunity to beat myself up. But now what I'm trying to do is, If I am pausing or delaying on something, I always try to ask, okay, why? Instead of just beating myself for it, why? So I think any of these like negative things, if we can get curious with them, it can be such an asset to our paths and to having like some level of peace.
1: I love that. I had just been reading about the power of procrastination. Like everyone talks about how procrastination is so bad, but to look at it as a teacher, because if you're procrastinating on something, it means something in you is not in alignment with that. Like, yeah, it could just because you want to watch Netflix, but most likely if you're like a person who's motivated and you do these things, it's like, wait a minute, what's wrong with that task? What's going on? What should I look at it? And I I love that. I, I love that idea.
0: Yeah, just curiosity is such a helper. And I don't think we think about it internally enough. So it's a good thing, as Martha Stewart would say. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I can also tell you're just a really good boss. And I'm curious, as you've gone about hiring people and building out your team, what do you look for when you hire? And what is your kind of leadership vision? Like, what are some things that you've learned along your journey?
1: I've learned so much. Never in a million years did I think I'd be running a company, right? And so I had, I've had i been in leadership positions, you know, when I was a surf instructor, a snowboard instructor, and then as a TV producer, you know, I was running crews and teams, but I never thought I'd be in this position. So I needed to learn a lot about being a leader versus being a manager.
0: What's the difference with those two? Leader versus manager? I'm a
1: much better leader than I am a manager. Basically, if you're a leader, you can, and this is my, my definitions, right? I'm not sure if anybody, you don't need to subscribe to these, but it's, if like leaders are really good at bringing people together. Um, it's, they're really good at working with people who are intrinsically motivated already. They can get people, you know, excited. It's a lot of autonomous decision making. Like I trust you. Like for my team, I try to hire the best people I can possibly find who are way smarter than me and I trust them to make the decisions. And we have unlimited time off. I'm like, look, I know you guys work so hard. I know that you love this company. Like you give everything, like take time off, do what you need to do that works really well with the team that I've built as a manager, right? If it was something where it's like you're dealing, you're, you're having people who are maybe not as intrinsically motivated, or if this is really just truly a job to them, or if it's a different thing where you have to put in like, Hey, you know, here's these tasks that we need you to get done. I'm not so good at that. And I had to learn very quickly that not everybody wants to have their career as there's like callings, careers, and jobs. Mm -hmm. And every company needs people who do all of them. And I'm really good at working with people who see their job as like their calling or their career. It's tougher for me to work with people who are like career slash job. And so that's okay. It means I just have to have people who are really good at working with people who see it as a job. You know, and so they know how to manage and they know how to work with those types of people. So I I hire for my weaknesses and I hire the smartest people I can and I let them do their jobs.
0: (laughs) And for you, what is the most or what are a few of the most important qualities outside of skill?
1: Collaborative would be the the buzzword of that. Um, But I think, you know, we're a really small team. So collaboration, grittiness, super important and the type of person who, if they see a piece of trash on the street, they pick it up and throw it out. I feel like those are the people who I want on my team. And so, and not necessarily just trash, but if they see, you know, somebody holding a bunch of stuff, they hold the door open for them, the helpers. I think I'm a helper. And I think that we have, everybody on my team is definitely, they default to helping. And I think that that makes a really great work environment um, because we want to help each other, even though, and when we take on big, big tasks. We're all trying to like, it's not really like, Oh, I don't want to do this. It's not my job. It's like, this is a task and we're going to all figure this out.
0: No, that's so important. I always say like, you can't teach hard work, being a good person or passion, but like anything else can kind of be taught. Totally. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Collaborative helpers. We love it. We love to see it. That's the team at Bite. Let's move on to mental health, okay? This is like a big thing for, I think, I mean, for the podcast, for my life. I know for entrepreneurs, it's huge. What are your mental health practices? Like how do you tend to that as you're building this incredible company?
1: Man, mental health is so important and it's gotten so much attention over the past few years and I think it's 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 going to be game changing uh for people, I feel like especially founders who are coming up behind us, right? Being able to talk about these types of things. I'm actually very open about this. Like the way that I feel like, you know, I have a I go to the gym. I, you know, Go to therapy. I feel like you know mental. I have a business. I have an executive coach. Um, I think that it is really important to have support and to ask for help. And I think that it's something that people have really started talking about a lot. But I also think that the idea of building a routine as well. So like, I wake up early. I'm a morning person. I wake up super early. I meditate. I work out. I go to the gym. And then and I make sure that I have I meet with my therapist every other week. I meet with my I have a business coach. Um, I just think that It's like the way that you want to keep your body in shape, you need to keep your mind in shape. And it's about optimizing and about really kind of getting the most out of it. And it's actually so funny. I was talking to this really amazing athlete. I'm not going to say who it is, but he was talking about how he goes to therapy and was talking to his teammates about therapy as well. And he was trying to explain to them that it's like not weakness. It's like, you guys, we have personal trainers. Like, why don't you think, why don't you want someone in your head? Like, if you're okay with people helping with your body, Why are you not letting someone help you with your head? And I'm like... What a way to explain that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, how, if personal trainers is just like, not many people can afford a personal trainer yeah. who are not pro athletes, right? But, like, you know, if those types of things are just seen as so normal, then why is, you know, therapy or coaching or anything not seen as normal? It's, it's
0: just, it's so important. It's wild to me. People are just like walking around white knuckling it. <laughs> like, I don't know. How, I don't know how you do it. Like, I just don't. Like, I had like a situation come up the other day that I was, just, it was unbelievable like, if I didn't have a therapist, what would I do? I sent a text to Jessica, my therapist, and I was like, SOS, need an emergency session right away. It's way, I mean, the only other really option is like
1: ambushing your friends and like, they're probably as busy as we are, you know, and they're not going to give the best advice most likely.
0: So and they're biased. So it is so nice to have, yeah, the very pro therapy person. And I feel the exact same. Lindsay, is there anything about Bite we miss? Like, what do you want to talk about within the company that you're super passionate about right now?
1: You know, I think for, for Bite in general, I guess what, you know, for what we do, and I don't even know if we totally got into it, but we make toothpaste tablets, mouthwash tablets. It's all in glass jars with metal lids, compostable refill pouches. Um, our deodorant was the first. It's and still currently only, um, you know, 100% refillable. Uh, yeah, refillable with compostable refills. And I think that, you know, what our whole mission is basically to take our daily routines, and to make them more sustainable, better for the planet and our bodies. And I think, you know, starting bite in my living room to be able to where we are now makes me just realize, like, there is so much that we're up against, Um, you know, not just from an environmental level. I mean, obviously, what's going on in politics, what's going on Mm -hmm. everywhere, like just everything. There has never been a more important time for people to create the changes that they want, right? So whether it's starting something in your living room, like we're all so much more powerful than we than we know. And I think that it's never been a better time to start a business, to start a movement, and it's never been more important. And I think that um it's like with social media and whether it's you know, Instagram, TikTok, where, where however you can have your voice heard to do that because it really does, it really does make a big difference. So I'm really excited like I think Gen Z is like freaking great. Yeah. Like I think they're going to just like change things. Are you a millennial are we millennials we're both millennials yeah <laughs> heck yeah like I just think it's great like like look I like like Gen X and the boomers love you guys too but I just think it's like it's so exciting like with the changes that we are going to be able to make over the next few decades so I think like kind of as we were talking about looking back at dots aligning we're going to look at what's happening right now and it's going to be dots are aligning as long as we're all here and we're present and we keep on trying to make these changes I really think that you know we will be able to move things in a positive direction
0: and when you were giving that very beautiful speech by the way I think you should do a TED talk about that um, <laughs> I was thinking you know your whole company was built upon a question of why doesn't this exist could this exist let's see And so if you have a question in you that's nagging at you, like, why is homelessness such a big issue? Why is it so okay across every religion, creed, race, you know, nationality that women are subjugated? Like, why are these things so normal and what can we do to change them? If you have a question like that on your heart, follow in Lindsay's footsteps. Maybe you will end up in your living room making some product, there's limitless opportunities. But all you did was literally seek to satisfy your own curiosity and make things a little bit better for one person at first. And then it expanded and expanded and expanded. So I just think it's so inspiring what curiosity and passion for people, passion for the environment can birth. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I
1: have like goosebumps when you say that because that's exactly someone sitting at home if they have a question of like, why is something this way? It's how we make change. Yeah. You know, and it's just kind of questioning the way things are
0: done and then doing them a different way. And it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't. Lindsay's proof of that. And I think another thing that I love, I don't think, I know another thing I love about you is the way you've talked even about other businesses doing it. I mean, you are such a person that comes from um, a culture of collaboration versus competition in every way, even with your quote unquote competitors, because you've said, you know, when I see these big corporations making toothpaste bites, I think that's great. I'm so excited. That means less plastic in the world. And to me, I'm like, oh, she's going to get so much more business because of that mentality. Like, You're literally drawing abundance to you because you're like, yes, great. Keep going. And I will, too. And I'll keep lifting everyone else up and they'll lift me up. Was that just natural for you? Like, where does that kind of incredible collaborative spirit come from?
1: I mean, it's two things, you know, when it comes to the big guys getting into our space with like the toothpaste tablets, it's like just always reminding myself why we're here, what the mission is. It's it's to get rid of toothpaste tubes, you know, and it's like, I, I'm not, I will never think that everybody in the world will ever use Bite. That will literally never happen, but we can get everybody away from toothpaste tubes, you know, and how do we do that? More people need to do it, you know? So I think that like, it's a really, it's just kind of remembering like what we're here for and then also just having the confidence and understanding like there will always be a place for us right like we'll always be able to make these like trailblazing products like you know that are you know premium that are made for this customer like I think there's enough for everyone to go around and I don't think like business is not winner take all. It's just not, it's people want choice. And so, you know, when we have, you know, the big guys kind of coming out with stuff that's like cheaper maybe, right. But they're, they're making compromises. There's like a plastic lid or there's, you know, ingredients that we would never put in there, but it's like, okay, it it makes it more accessible for people who aren't, who can't pay for ours, you know? And so I think that like, we're all really in this together. And, you know, from a business, from a business perspective too, it proves out the fact that this is a market yeah. you know and so like if the big guys are getting in i'm like yeah i know because we have a good business model <laughs> like this is like you know like this is we're running a good business and i think that that's um you know from a even from like a like putting my business hat on it's like yeah they're proving that this is this is legit and they're like legitimizing our movement by copying us, but then also they're making it more accessible, which is so important.
0: It makes me kind of tear up though, thinking that you, you know, this producer, like incredible woman, like sitting alone in your living room inspiring these like multi-billion dollar corporations. Like, I just love the idea that they're like, oh yeah, I'll have what she's having.
1: When I think about that, like when we saw, like where we see them like come out, like, and there's one that literally called their tablets bite-sized toothpaste bits. And I was like, we are 10 kids in a living room. Like, let's be clear here. Like, this is crazy. It also makes me just be like, wow, because that's how big our team is, you know? And so it's like, it's just so... And that's when kind of bring this all back to if you have a problem, you can solve it. We're, we're so small, like we're so scrappy, but like with a laptop and like yeah. the, the capabilities that people can do now, it's like you can run, you can run really big, powerful businesses with very little.
0: I think one thing we didn't touch on that I didn't realize till I actually got your product is Byte actually stands for something because it's the earth. How did you think of that?
1: on a run I had to retrofit it (laughs) so Literally, we had, because I started, it was bite toothpaste bits because it was in my living, you know, that's what it was because I never thought that we would be coming out with a deodorant or or even a toothbrush, you know? And so it was bite toothpaste bits. And then it was like, okay, now we have a toothbrush. So it was like brush by bite. And then, okay, we have floss by bite. And we're like, we're eventually not going to be able to get away with this. Then it was like the mouthwash, mouthwash by bite, bite, mouthwash, you know? And then so finally it was like, okay, we need to figure out a way to, make this all work. And I was like, how do I, I don't want to change the name. I love the name bite. And so I was like, how do we make this work? And I was like, literally on a run. I was like, how could I like, what could this be? Could it be this, this? And then I just kind of like saw these different things click in my head. And I was like, because it's the earth. And I was like, holy crap, That's it. Because it's true. Everything we've ever done is because it's the earth in defense of the earth, you know, because we care about the earth. And so I was just like, oh, that's it. That's perfect.
0: Where do you get your most intuitive, creative hits? Like, is it usually when you're running? Where's your your best inspiration spot?
1: Outside in general. Yeah, I have to get outside. Like, I'll I'll pace around my apartment a lot, you know, which is very helpful. But when it comes to, like, big long-term stuff when I'm trying to process, it's helpful to go for a walk or a run outside.
0: What about you? Yeah, definitely walks. I also write music. I don't know if you knew that. But I've written a lot Amazing. of songs, like, while I walk and while I drive. So anytime when I think you're kind of in motion and your brain can be secondary, I think the spiritual flow, the intuition, the creative energy can come in and... You don't get to get in the way as much, which is good because I will if I can. It's all about getting out of your own way. That's exactly it. And one other thing I want to say, because I know sometimes some people I think have a hard time with getting in touch with the environmentalist movement because maybe they feel separate from it. But as I've been researching your products and preparing for this interview... I think it's so interesting that everything that's bad for the earth is also bad for us. Plastics. There's a huge bioaccumulation issue in our bodies. We're ingesting a credit card's worth of plastics each week. All these things that like build up in the earth build up in us too. And we're pretty much the same amount of water, I think, as the earth. So it only makes sense that the things that adversely affect the earth are going to adversely affect us. So if you can't do it for the earth... Do it for yourself. Do it for your family. Do it for your fellow human being.
1: Exactly. There is no differentiation, you know, and that's the thing I think environmentalism used to be about the planet. And now it's like, no, no, it's actually like literally about human survival. Yeah, we're going to die. You know, yeah. And it's like it's like you and your children, like we are seeing significant changes right now in our lifetime of climate change, of plastic accumulation. This is no longer like some, you know, tree hugging hippie stuff like this is like this will affect us. It is affecting us. Um, and so I think it's that's something that the conversation is changing, where it's like it's no longer just being outside of you. It's understanding this is, this is in you. They found plastic in fat cells. I didn't even reference that because that's a, such a new study, but they're finding plastic in human fat cells. Like it's in us. It, we're basically living science experiments now, right? Putting these petroleum based plastics that are now embedded into our systems. And we're going to find out what the long term effects of that are, right? Like Mm -hmm. literally we will, because we will be living with these long term effects. And so I think that it's something where it's like, yeah, for me, I started this because of the ocean, because of Oh my gosh. Like I just get so heartbroken when I watch like plastic ocean and I see like the birds who are, you know, eating all of the different plastic fragments and then starve to death. Like that's why I did this. But now it's like, Whoa, wait a minute. It's in our fat cells. It's in our, you know, it's, we're consuming this. So it is, it is like the survival of our species really.
0: Lindsay, I adore you. I'm obsessed with everything you're doing in love with your products in your company. I want to circle back to our beautiful, younger, lost 20-something version of you. I'm wondering if you could have a little chat with her. What would you say to her and why?
1: I would say everything is going to work out. Continue to do what you think is right. And don't worry so much about it. Yeah. <laughs> like it's gonna be, it's gonna be okay. Like it's gonna, you know, it really will. Like you're not gonna get what you think or expect at all, but you will be happy <laughs> with the way things turn out. I think that's what I would, I would say for sure.
0: And what do you think she would say to this version of you, you now at 37 and why?
1: how are you not married? i no, just kidding. I'm kidding. She would never, she would never. That Lindsay was like, no, no, no. We have adventures to do. Um, no, she would say, she would be so happy. She would be like, you have the best dog. <laughs> like she'd be very proud of bite. But honestly, I think that she would think my dog is very cute Aww. and would love the fact that I live by the beach. Like, I feel like, cause that was my priorities at, uh, at 23 was kind of like, Just, you know, and I think actually on that note, and this is a, this is totally on a tangent, but this is just something that hopefully this will help someone somewhere. Like the difference between happiness and satisfaction, like I've been way happier. Sometimes I'm not I'm not always happy, but I'm very satisfied. Mm. And I feel like a lot of my 20s, I was like super happy, but I was kind of restless and craving satisfaction. And I feel like in my 30s, there's been, you know, life changes. You end up losing people, like, you know, things, you're not always as happy, but I feel like it's it's easier to feel satisfied. Mm. And um, I think that that's something that it it happens in that transition as well.
0: Okay. So we're going to shoot for satisfaction and uh, having a dog and living by the beach (laughs) yes yes if you can do those things you've made it baby pretty good Lindsay. i (laughs) love you thank you for everything you shared thank you for your sunshiny soul and for what you do for the earth thank you so much lauren this was amazing Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Lindsay McCormick. For more info on Lindsay, follow her at L I N D S A Y M C on Instagram and check out her company at Bite, B-I-T-E on Instagram and her website, ByteToothbaseBits.com. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for editing this episode. You can follow her at Rach E. Fulton. Thanks Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Earner Creative and I will repost to share my gratitude. My wish for you this week is that you follow your curiosity and seek the answers to your most persistent questions. Lindsay had a random question that she turned into a multi-million dollar business that is now helping to make our earth a cleaner, healthier place. I wonder how the answer to your question could help change the world for the better. I can't wait to see the impact you make. I love you and I believe in you talk with you next week.